0: Christina Cho, and this is STEAM, the podcast, where I get to talk to amazing women and other underrepresented minorities in the fields of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and the arts, or STEAM, and highlight the brilliant work they do and talk about the ways we can make STEAM truly more inclusive, equitable, and diverse. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about two things one being first generation and the challenge of being the first in your family to go to college or grad school or pursue a career in steam and two where research begins in steam whether it's science engineering math or the arts a project usually begins with a question how do cancer cells hide from the immune system how can we design a building that doesn't fall during an earthquake How can I depict love and romance on a canvas? Is the universe expanding? Can music be mathematical? Research is an integral part of STEAM. So where does it begin? And can you trust that inquisitive voice in your head when imposter syndrome tells it to quiet down? My guest today is a first-gen college grad and academician who knows firsthand how hard it can be to navigate higher education. He is also the co-author of the book, Where Research Begins, Choosing a Research Project That Matters to You and the World. Together, we'll talk about the challenges of being the first in your family and what you can do to make sure you're as successful as you can be. And we'll talk about how to start listening to and for your voice so that you do the research that fulfills you. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Tom Mullaney. Dr. Mullaney is a professor of Chinese history at Stanford University, the Kluge Chair in Technology and Society at the Library of Congress, and a Guggenheim Fellow. He received his Bachelor of Arts in East Asian Studies and International Studies and Master of Arts in Humanistic Studies from Johns Hopkins University and his PhD in History from Columbia University. His research intersects history, language, and information technology, creating a unique and fascinating field of study. He is also the author or lead editor of seven books, including Your Computer is on Fire, Coming to Terms with the Nation, Ethnic Classification in Modern China, and The Chinese Typewriter, which won the prestigious John K. Fairbank Prize in East Asian History. His most recent book, co-authored with Dr. Christopher Rea, is entitled Where Research Begins, Choosing a Research Project That Matters to You and the World. Dr. Mullaney has also written for the Journal of Asian Studies, Technology and Culture, E.ON, Foreign Affairs, Foreign Policy, the LA Times, The Atlantic, and the BBC. In addition to his work being featured in mass media, he is a sought-after speaker who has given talks at Google, Microsoft, Adobe, and more. In addition to being a scholar, educator, author, and speaker, Dr. Mullaney has a YouTube channel dedicated to explaining how academia works. He has videos about how to win a Guggenheim Award, how to give good talks, how to write professional emails, and dealing with burnout. He also has a website called First Gen Prof, where he helps other first-generation students and academicians on how to navigate the hidden curriculum of college, grad school, and tenure-track academia. So not only is he an accomplished academic, but he is also an advocate for making higher level education more accessible to all. And I'm super stoked to have him on our show. Hi, Tom, and welcome to STEAM.
1: Hi, it's, uh, it's really nice to be here and thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Yes. So, Tom, I would love for you to take some time to greet our listeners and talk a little bit about your research and the work that you do outside of academia.
1: Well, hi everyone. Um, so I'm Tom, and uh, I guess I come. The main way I come uh, to you in this conversation is that I'm a professor of history at Stanford. I'm now in my gosh. I started in 2016, so this is 16 years I've been doing this, uh, which is pretty strange to think. 2006. Um, 2006. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm> sorry, 2006. <laughs> already, uh, and. No, I I work on a variety of things. You know, my card says my my business card says I'm a historian of modern China, but I also work on uh, race and ethnicity, on the history of technology, uh, and then sometimes my my mind or my heart takes me in very strange directions. I did a project on on the digging up of dead bodies in uh, contemporary China, where. I stumbled across the fact that there are millions upon millions of corpses that have been dug up and relocated in order to make way for all of the sort of development and construction that takes place Mm. in China. And just something about that, I think, resonated with me. That became a a small-scale project. But I I work with a lot of students and colleagues who themselves work on things that I do not work on. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think that I think mentoring in academia is by far the most rewarding but most challenging part of this job. It's basically like being a, a therapist, a scholar, a parent, a friend, a, a punching bag, a variety of things. And then <laughs> teaching is probably the next most sophisticated and difficult. And then after that comes comes research and writing. Research and writing is hard, but it's not the hardest thing that we do. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just I'm excited for this conversation.
0: Awesome. So we typically start the episodes with a simple but not so simple question of who or what inspired you to become a professor of Chinese history?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I guess if you met me as a little kid, you would have no idea and I would have no inclination that I would have gone this route. Uh, I've always been really into research without really knowing what that word was I to me research is life it is the most exquisite thing that one can dedicate their time to and I don't think of research as just something that happens in a lab or you know in the archives it's 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 just an everyday practice of life it's just being a student and a researcher of life and uh, but I think the one thing that was with me from a very young age was maybe that classic triad of Music, mathematics, and language. I, I learn languages very. I don't know why, but I I can just learn languages very very easily, and I'm very interested in that. And so, language is probably the beginning of it. I, there's something to me about language itself, which still to this day shocks me. That you know that you take you take a you take the human population of the world, and you and you people move into different enclaves and different continents and different places, and that that autonomously we can just as a species create completely coherent completely meaningful and yet completely dissimilar in some cases ways of expressing ourselves recording the the passage of time and i often said that if i you know if i had one go at uh, at like make you know make three wishes the sort of rubbing the genie the 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 genie bottle. I think one of them would be to speak every language fluently. There's just something about that. Yeah, I say the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, there's just something about it. It's and then maybe like play every instrument. Um, (laughs) and uh, so language, I think, is where it started. I I I went to um, I went through high school. I studied you know French and I studied, uh, uh, but then I got to college and probably the the part of the catalog that shocked me in a in a positive way the most was the 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 foreign languages section that suddenly there's there's russian and there's german there's japanese and and the idea that one could just not click on anything at that point but you know fill in a bubble and say i'm going to study arabic i'm going to study this just sent me off a cliff and i originally i had this whole concocted scheme that i was going to by my end of four years you know, study four years of four (laughs) or five different languages. And Mm -hmm. um, Arabic was my first choice. It was the first uh, thing that I was planning on doing, but I couldn't make first year Arabic fit into my schedule, uh, I think, in the first year. So I was like, oh, I'll do it in second year. So I'm going to do something else first. Mm -hmm. And uh, I stumbled into Chinese uh, class and I had probably the best instructor one could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. Li Laoshi, who... Who just was an incredible instructor, but also just magnetic and funny and you know dynamic and just it was it was a blur. I just sort of woke up one day, the semester was over, I was doing well, and then I woke up one day and it, I was a junior and I was mm-hmm. studying abroad, and so that's where the China part of it came from. Okay. The um the history part is different because uh, as you noted, um, my parents didn't. And my grandparents and so forth down the line did not attend college or or grad school or pursue anything in that in that nature. But my 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 dad was always kind of as a baby boomer born in 45, growing up with a fascination with World War II, this global conflict that he just that this generation never saw, but Mm -hmm. grew up just bathing in this stuff in television and pop culture. And so, like many baby boomers of that era, he was a World War II. Buff and just you know, I think a lot of the stuff that surrounded everyday life was kind of pop culture versions of 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 history, mm-hmm. and maybe that's where it came from. I don't I don't really really know where the history <laughs> side of it came from, but those two things merged at the end of college in in an honors thesis, basically, and that's when I don't know that's when I knew I was going to do something. Now it was a fork in the road. Uh, I did not know. I applied to journalism school and I applied to grad school, and I got mm-hmm. into. I got rejected from every grad school I applied to, but two. <laughs> okay. One was a journalism program at Berkeley, yeah. and one was a, a PhD program. A fu- well, the only funded program at Columbia. And originally, I thought I wanted to be a, a journalist, a document, a mm-hmm. documentary filmmaker, and then I saw the list of the other admits, and they were, <clears throat> you know, the editor of their their school newspaper they interned <laughs> in places uh, and I was like I just I was using photocopy machines and <laughs> desktop publishing <coughs> software and things so I was like they they somehow they knew yeah and this gets to the conversation they they knew as a first year that like mm-hmm. oh you want to you want a career in journalism
0: you need to well, do the, these things
1: you do you join the you join here you have this on your CV yeah. walk out with this and I looked at the list and I said you know I don't belong there. And also, mm. I would say that I knew myself my own disposition. I take a lot I'm I'm fairly prolific as a writer, as a scholar, but I takes that's because I have a lot of things going at once. Mm. It takes me a long time to figure out what I think is ac- accurate or well written. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will work on a book for 10 years, 15 years. And obviously as a journalist, you don't have that luxury. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, I was like, you know, PhD for history. I'm a slower thinker. I need Mm -hmm. that. I'm a slower writer. I need that time. And so that was a big fork in the road.
0: Wow. That's really, that's really interesting. So when you talked about the superhero stuff, like I also would love to be able to speak every language under the sun. I think languages are so beautiful. Um, I also like learning languages. I'm, I'm, you know, I think if I had spent more time, (laughs) like perfecting all the languages I started learning, I'd be like pretty good at many. So right now, so my, my parents are Korean. So I speak Korean, Um, read, write. You know, speak it. Although my vocabulary is probably elementary level, <laughs> maybe I tried taking like a like a higher level college course in Korean, and I was just like, "Wow, my vocabulary is super <laughs> limited." My husband's Polish, and so we're trying to teach our daughter, you know, English, Korean, and Polish. It's very That's funny. That's awesome.
1: That's and awesome.
0: And so, you know, I'm picking up a little bit of Polish here and there, but you know, I would love to be like a polyglot, just like blah blah blah. blah. I like I understand, I hear everything. It'd be so awesome. Yeah. yeah
1: no. Yeah. I was saying we're 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 a Italian Italian American family. Uh, my wife's from Italy, and so our, our, our children have you know Italian and English. And be, because I have uh, Chinese texts just around the house, um, then our, our oldest, who's four at the time, at the time he was three, he just started teaching himself characters. He has the, he has That's the same amazing. language mind.
0: So we talked a little bit about your your kind of your path. You started with languages, and then history was kind of in your life, and then that it kind of like you know organically found a little like a niche for yourself. And so um, I wanted you to, to talk a little bit more about your research. You you said you had a small research project about like uh, you know bodies that are being moved, which is you know it's such a interesting. I don't know how that plays into the rest of the work that you've done. And so how did you end up, yeah, how did you end up finding these very interesting fields of study and how did you end up combining and synergizing you know, um, technology and language and history to basically create the field of study that you're in?
1: I, I know how my brain works and my being works, but also I think it's true for a lot of people is there is no grid. When you start this stuff, I mean, so you know, there is no—at um, least for me—when someone came comes up to me and asks, you know, especially my first and second book, I'll just use that as an example. So, my first book, "Coming to Terms with a Nation: Ethnic Classification in Modern China," it's a history of. The the 1949 Communist Revolution has just happened. Uh, A newly formed People's Republic of China under the Chinese Communists needs to figure out um, how it is going to make good on the promise that it made for decades that is going to represent minorities into a far greater extent in the government than any regime in the past. The only problem was no one knew who is in China, what all of their names are, what all the identities are. There was no census, there are no census categories Mm -hmm. that pre existed. Mm -hmm. So I studied the project where the Chinese communists sent out a team of linguists and anthropologists to Southwest China, the most diverse part of China, and really the, one of the most diverse places on earth. It's like border Southeast Asia. And, mm-hmm. and so you know, someone reading that book or looking at that book or not reading that book and just hearing about it, it's like, okay, it's a book about ethnicity, ethnic identity, blah, 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 blah. Then my second book is called The Chinese Typewriter. A history, (laughs) and the stuff in there is like about Chinese telegraph codes and Chinese typewriters and different information technologies, and and so when when I get I get that question a lot of like these two things seem really disjointed and disconnected, and the honest truth is is that at the moment, at the inception point of that second book, when I knew. My God, I have to do this. This is this Mm -hmm. is my this is the next project. I myself couldn't have given the answer to someone who asked, honestly, if someone said you have to be honest, you're not applying for a grant, you're not trying to get into anything. You just (laughs) have to be honest with me. Do you understand how this thing that you feel certain you want to work on, do you understand how it connects to the thing that you spent 10 years working on before that on the face of it looks completely different? My honest Mm -hmm. answer would be I have no idea. (laughs) <laughs> I could guess, but I, I at this moment, I have no idea. And it took me another probably five or six or seven years to be able to understand that relationship. Mm. And so this is the cool thing about research, which is you're researching the thing you're researching and you're researching yourself
0: wow. at the same mm-hmm.
1: time. Because once you once I know, okay, how does a book about... Chinese communists undertaking the recognition of ethnic minorities and Mm -hmm. a book about Chinese information technology, what, how do they relate Mm -hmm. to be able to answer that question is in a certain way for me as a human being to be able to say, this is how I'm built. Mm. This is what bothers me in life. Um, And so the, 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 I I often tell people that, and I think this is, well, I know this is true for me, the, probably the proudest moment in my career was not giving up on the second book on typewriter, mm. because when you um, when you have two things that you're, you or one thing you have done and then there's a new thing you want to do, when those two things on the face don't look anything like one another, mm-hmm. and even you don't really get what the subterranean connections are. Then basically, yeah. the whole world, including yourself, lines up against you mm. and tries to, not necessarily aggressively, but tries to protect you. I've I yeah. had people be like, um, Tom, you know, like this is the book you need to get, like this is the book proposal, the second one you need to get tenure. So, yeah. why not write a second book mm. that is. The categorization of ethnic minorities in a different part of China or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like, why not do something that the world will understand as coherent, as continuous, as, you know, related? Yeah. And people were like worried for me. People that really cared for me were worried that if I said, I'm going to do a book about this Chinese typewriters and stuff, Mm -hmm. that people would think it's just totally out of left field. You know, maybe frivolous and cute, maybe not serious, maybe disconnected, maybe
0: unfocused,
1: unfocused chasing yeah. fireflies in a darkened yeah. field kind of a deal. And I knew it was just gut. Like I thought about, seriously, I thought about, and I actually tried out writing a book proposal for the book that people thought was safe. Yeah. And I felt um, something close to nauseous. Like it was physical. This is, comes to the idea that your body, no. Yeah. Yeah. Body was like, no. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you why, but if I am I will if you spend 10 years, if you commit us, meaning our whole body, heart, yeah. mind complex to this for 10 years, I'm out of here. Yeah. Like I don't like this. I can't tell you why, because I'm a body. I'm not your mouth. So <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you. But yeah. no. Yeah. And then my body, when I found this other project, lit up like a, a nuclear reactor and was like, I can't tell you why. But, but I want I want yeah. us our whole body to do this for ten years for fifteen yeah. years. yeah. And I listen to it. and that's and mm. that's that's it. You have to you have to listen to that thing and then you figure out the genius that is your body. Your body is like able to make these genius decisions and it cannot speak. yeah. And yet then your mind is like trying to catch up with the body mm-hmm. being like, why did my body send me down this really good path? yeah i wonder why i wonder why i wonder why i wonder why and then like oh i think baby i think baby and the great thing about the body is that the body also is listening to all the blah 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 that comes out of your mouth yeah. and it's still giving you input mm-hmm. you say something that's like not quite right the body's like you can feel it the body's telling yeah. you like that's not it um and so that's over time and this comes back to the idea of how to how, to, how did i build this program In the beginning it was very weird and lonely like I had very different communities that I was part of, and and I didn't see the same faces in the same room. So I would go to you know places where I would talk about my first book, and yeah. then I would kind of hang out in different places where, um, either related to the second book or different experiments that I had for the second mm-hmm. book that never materialized. And I felt like um, an unlaced shoe. I just felt <laughs> like a like a you know just a pile of yarn on the ground. <laughs> and it's, it was only like year five or six or seven of my job at Stanford. Wow. Yeah. That I started to see some of the same faces. Okay. And they became, you know, I real we, we realized we were each other's people. Ah, We were fellow travelers a little bit. Okay. And then, you know, and then it became less lonely. Okay. Um, and then over time, um, you know, and then of course, this world rewards success. So when the book comes out and wins an award, Mm -hmm. then people often will switch.
0: Oh, I totally saw that connection. That's amazing. I saw the
1: connection and like, and, you know, and, and it was a good, you know, it was innovative or it was a good Mm -hmm. idea to do this. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't disrespect the people that were worried for me because they were genuinely worried for me and wanted me to do well. Um, But, you know, it gets, the script gets rewritten Mm-hmm. But what what you need is what what you, what what a scholar what a researcher needs to do is is at that early place, yeah. um, you know, flashes of realization or fra- what people. What I think what the world I I think that everyone is like basically I think that everyone is a genius, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and whatever word that means, just like just like overflowing with brilliance. That's my uh-huh. view of humans. Um, I also have a pessimistic side with vis a vis humans, but I do believe that. <laughs> But flashes of genius, flashes of brilliance are another way of putting that are moments of listening yeah. intensely to oneself mm. and trusting that very fragile, inarticulate, quiet voice that's saying something amidst mm. the cacophony of other voices in our heads. Mm-hmm. 99.9% of which are not our voices. They're just
0: Yeah. well
1: they are but they're they're ventriloquists. They're like mom and yeah. dad and society and the news and they're all pretending to be us talking to ourselves. Mm-hmm. But there's like one of them or maybe you know that's saying like hey, I'm over here in the corner and I'm you. I really am you. Yeah. Um and I, I think we should do this. I don't know why, but I think we should do this. Yeah. And listening to that is the beginning of uh, of every great project, I think.
0: That's I mean that's really that's really interesting that you say that. So like my 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 mentor and I currently, I'm a postdoc. We've been talking a lot about my future. And he, his advice to me is like, you know, think, you know, don't just think about what's going to get you that next paper. Don't just think about what's going to get you that grant. You think about what you're going to be curious about and like, and excited to still look into like 10, 15 years from now. What are questions that haven't been asked yet? What are things that are, you know, um, like think further, think bigger, think differently you know and it's it's risky and it's scary but you know you got to consider how, where you're going to be 10-15 years from now not just like a, a short break here we we get a paper from it or like a little grant from it I mean those are important too those are milestones obviously for an yeah. academician but you know he was like ask yourself you know questions that you'd want to answer within 10-15 years you know so it's it's yeah. really cool that you know he he's also teaching me to start really thinking about and looking within and asking, like, what are you curious about? What are you interested in? Which is like the perfect time to bring up your most <laughs> recent book um, that you co authored with Christopher Rea called Where Research Begins. So I haven't finished it yet, but um, I've, I've read a little bit of it so far, and it seems to be really helpful for any kind of person interested in research at any stage of their career to think about what they want to study. So, like, you know, it sounds to me that your own personal experience kind of inspired you to write this book. Um, and what do you hope readers take away from it? Like, I mean, what what was the goal of this book for you?
1: Yeah, I, so I think the I think the the, the simplest um, way to put the goal would be, and this this ties to the the question of imposter syndrome that you brought up before, and it, mm-hmm. and it also I think ties directly it intersects very importantly with uh, the experience of a lot of first-gen students and, and others, but it's that uh, for one, first of all, that research, there's something just exquisite and and one of a kind. And, and just um, like, if you've never done, if you've never really had a research experience you, you've and you go to the grave without having done research, you've really missed something that we, we, not exclusively but we as humans get to do and like it's like yeah. this rare rare thing um and that a life without research is is a, is a is a is a massively missed opportunity um both with engagement with the world but also kind of like we were just talking about this way of of going in and getting to know oneself understanding oneself thoroughly mm-hmm. but the, the, i think the simplest one is that research the answer to the question of where research begins like it's a you know the the title is kind of a question, but also a, uh, a statement, I guess. Yeah. Is that research begins in, uh, well, for me, it began in absolutely horrific screaming matches at the dinner table um, <laughs> with with parents. It, it began in, you know, phone calls with friends lasting until, the you know, four in the morning. It, it, oh my God. It began with... Uh, Sitting by the dock in Annapolis, under the vapor lights, it began in it. Um, and this is and and research begins in all of these ex- fundamentally intimate and personal places, mm. regardless of what it is that one studies. This is not meaning that. Oh, okay, yeah, I get how. I don't know if you became a a, a family therapist. I can see why screaming matches um at home would have led you to that life it's like no 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 no. i don't it's not a one-to-one thing yeah it's that it, all of the all of the dings and the and the nicks and the and the and of our on our metal you know the metal that makes us not to mention the composition of the metal that makes us and the, and yeah. the way the crystalline structure of the metal that makes us and the, all the different flaws and perfections and so forth that's where it begins because mm. that's what dictates what on your way to work or your way to school or your way to the mailbox, that's what dictates what you are going to take notice of in this world and what you're not going to take notice of in this world because mm. there's too much stuff to notice. Yeah. There's, you know, the again, 99.9 repeating percent of the sens- sensation bombardment that we experience every waking second. We don't see, otherwise, we'd go yeah. nuts, but we don't see. <laughs> so, what we do see, why do we see what we see? We mm. see what we see because of, you know, because of our marbles way through life. yeah. And so the moment that a, a researcher or a student, and it goes, I think, as young as certainly to high school, maybe even middle school, um, when someone understands that, like, oh, wait a minute, I should probably pay attention
0: mm. and, and
1: validate, valorize, the things that I, as I walk through my day that I tend to take notice, first of all, I should notice what I'm noticing. That's what we talk about in the book. I should notice what it is I'm noticing. Yeah. Take notice of what I'm not noticing. And I should Mm -hmm. ask myself questions. Why is that? I could have just as easily noticed this or that, but I, I seem to be the type of person that if you leave me to my own devices, my mind drifts towards this kind of question. You could take me, plot me in Paris, you could plot me in Phnom Pen. You could plot me in Tel Aviv. You could plot me on the moon, and I will probably find my way back to a pretty limited set of questions about the world around me. Mm. Uh, you know, I, everywhere I go, I pick up the dirt and I rub it between my fingers. I don't know why. Everywhere I go, I look at the way people touch each other or don't touch each other. Everywhere I go, I you know, and. Once people realize that that's not just that's not external to research that's like clues about what makes you up and what makes your whole sensory system up and that you should notice that and that you should kind of invest in that that you should follow that lead mm-hmm. and once you follow that lead it's it's your genius it's your it's your thing that's gonna that's gonna uh, when you're in a setting that is more "Quote unquote research oriented," you know, in a, in a lab setting and a schooling setting in a high school and middle school and college and grad school, that that's the same instinct hmm. that's going to make you notice a particular footnote in a book or a particular passage in a primary source or a particular, I don't know, you know, blob in the MRI. You know, I don't know that you know, <laughs> you know, it's going to make you see. Yeah, no, I understand what you
0: mean. Yeah,
1: and that's and if you. Follow that. I think. Mm. I think many people. Everyone notices those things. I think the vast majority of people, and this is where fundamental inequalities come into play. Mm
0: -hmm. The
1: vast majority of say, like, okay, um, the things I noticed are not worthy of note. Mm -hmm. Who am I to notice anything? I'm sure someone else did this or noticed this. Mm. Um, and then imposter syndrome, which is that when you are in the presence of either Peers that you feel you need to compete with in order to demonstrate your right to be there, uh, or demonstrating to the authority figures and basically like reapplying to the college Mm -hmm. that already accepted you every single day. Every single conversation is like reapplying to grad school or reapplying to your Mm -hmm. job,
0: which is proving that you belong there, proving that you belong
1: over and over and over again. And what does that mean? That means that you're using the language of grant writing. And the language of statements of purpose and the language mm-hmm. of you know and what is that language that language is clean polished coherent linear articulate elegant and all of those things while very useful for getting a grant or right you know finally finishing mm-hmm. a book finishing mm-hmm. a whatever a documentary are death <laughs> to research <laughs> <laughs> because research is messy it's naive yeah. inarticulate it sounds silly coming out of your mouth um but those those silly questions those silly inarticulate uh things yeah when you stop and listen to it and when you allow yourself with a trusted mentor or a trusted colleague say them out loud mm-hmm. those are the moments when a trusted mentor who really is trying to help you will stop and say uh Do that. Yeah. What you just said is freaking brilliant. And then the student, and this the first time a student has that experience, it just melts their heart. It makes them feel joy, but also it's also Mm. scary in a good way. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, I could climb a mountain.
0: Yeah. I I never thought of myself as
1: someone who could climb a mountain, but now I'm scared Mm -hmm. of my own power. Mm. And like if I'm going to use it or what am I going to do with it? But like that moment of. Being inarticulate, being naive, not performing intelligence, just being in one's intelligence, Mm -hmm. and having someone say, "Everything else you said was super polished and really great." That's fine. Mm -hmm. You're very smart. I know you're smart. Good. That. That's the thing I would keep looking at. Mm. Uh, But where does it go? I don't know where it goes. You don't know where it goes. No one knows where it goes. It's research. Yeah. My gut, and then if you do that with most of these conversations, I know that I had, you know, being in the chair of the person who's just making the face of like, and not not in the patronizing like, oh, I've got to tell this kid that something they said is brilliant because it's like everybody's brilliant today. It's like no, 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 (laughs) it's got to be real. But when it happens, just let it out, and then and then suddenly, what happens in the student's mind, any researcher's mind, is they kind of reconfigure the wires. Okay. What they do is they say like, because there's still authority at play. There's still asymmetry. I'm still using Mm -hmm. my power as a professor in that conversation, but what I'm, I'm trying to use it in a way that resets the incentivization wires to Mm. move it away from one of trying to impress me Mm. with words to one that's just trying to impress me with a person's ability to notice things, notice that they are noticing things, have trust in themselves to say those things out loud. And, and then also the kind of, you know, the, the, what, 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 I'm, what I'm rewarding, I guess, with my facial expression mm. is mm-hmm. way to notice something, way to notice that you noticed it, way to trust yourself to say it out loud. And my gosh, I really like how your satellite dish is built if you notice that signal. So yeah. and, and so what they do is they're like, I'm gonna go and like trust I'm gonna go try to notice things. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna try to notice what I'm noticing. I'm gonna like trust myself so that when I come into office hours next, I'm gonna not try to just word this guy. I'm gonna try to and then I'm gonna I'm gonna I guess I guess my satellite dish and my the way my 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 the built is good. Yeah, good. someone someone who's here to you know whose job it is to whatever pass Grade judgment on me. Yeah. Write letters of recommendation or not. Just like lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. And then you just get out of there. And then you teach them the, the how tos of research. Then you just get out of their way. Mm-hmm. You just get out of their way, and um, the stuff that the stuff that people come up with and will arrive at. Yeah. In my experience, I've seen first years first years in college operating at PhD level. What, mm. we, what we consider to be PhD level. I think we've okay. almost infantilized um, ourselves to imagine that we are not able to do things until later stages of the career. And, and that's something that STEM, I really, really admire actually in STEM is they, I think they do that a lot less than in the humanities. We,
0: we try not to create an age limit, whether old or young, right? It's like yeah. whatever, you, if you can come up with an idea and you can work on it and, and demonstrate that it's, it's real, that it's valid... It doesn't matter if you're, you know, a Nobel Prize winner or a high school kid from like the middle of nowhere who just came up with a really cool, brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I think what you're saying is, you know, uh, I think basically this is something that I experienced a lot, especially in academia, is that there's this um, there's this idea that you need a lot of discipline and focus to be successful, which I think is true, Mm in the in the sense that you do have the You have to dedicate time. You do have to learn how to, I mean, in terms of bench work, the type of science that I do is, you do need to become technically proficient and all of this requires time and discipline and and focus. But when it comes to a lot of the leaders in the field, they really do come up with ideas that are absolutely like left field kind of out there. They're like, I say this about my boss a lot. Like he's in his own like cloud, like he's in his cloud and he has his thoughts and he has his ideas. And he's just there, like he just kind of has, you know, a different perspective on things, or he's looking at things very differently. And I've noticed that a lot about the leaders in my field is that, Mm -hmm. you know, they they do the dedication, they do the time, they do all the work, but at the same time, they're willing to ask questions that they're interested in and they're passionate about. And so, you know, and I think your book is getting to that. And what you're talking about is, is basically, you know, what you notice is intrinsically you it's like something that you uniquely are noticing so why not ask the question of why are you noticing that and you know why not pursue that as as your question to life or work or whatever it is and then when you are passionate when you are excited then the the then it's much easier to get through the hard parts of exactly. any any yes. any industry or any yes. field where there's you know gonna be highs and lows and failures and repetitive tries and so yeah I I really highly recommend anyone interested in pursuing a career in research which according to Tom it's like pretty much your whole life research is you it's, it's just a, being right um to get a copy of the book and I think it's you know it really does take at least for someone like me who eventually wants to run their own research program, you know, to take that, that really almost scary, intimidating, daunting task of finding a research topic. Um, and it kind of makes it less intimidating. You know, you think about like, what are you really interested in? What have you been observing? And I I really hope that, you know, more people think about research in this way and that it's not just a job, um, but that it's just a part of your life. It's just the things that you're curious about and you're interested in and, and that unique perspective is what makes, what will make that research brilliant or genius, as you totally. like to say. Uh, yeah.
1: And that's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the whole, it's the secret to holistic, you know, it's, it's a secret to the, the, to not having a division between everything in, in, in life. And, and like mm-hmm. you said, there, there, there are long winters that you need <laughs> to get through. And if, and if you've chosen, people choose research projects that are basically, you know, people pleaser projects. Like yeah. They're, they're purely entirely crafted to please an imagined, you know, recipient. That's that's fine. Sometimes you have to do that. Uh, but if you're talking about something that is going to have to last for any length of time, then the, the, as soon as the clouds, you know, cover, and as soon as the sleet starts falling and it gets cold, there's zero, there is nothing mm-hmm. that will keep you Wanting to do that project because it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. It is completely divorced and completely, alien- and you will, f- and, and I've, 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 I've had this, you know, I've, I've said mm-hmm. yes to things and I've committed to things. And the feeling of waking up one day and being like, oh my, why did I commit to that? Is a feeling of self alienation. It's like, how sad. I don't, it's like I have to go on a business trip and Mm -hmm. leave myself behind Mm. for years.
0: That sounds really know Imagine (laughs) like,
1: it's like, it's like a science fiction. That's, and that's what it, that's to me, what the stakes are in, in Mm. getting this right. And the other, but there's this other side of it too, um, which I think is equally, you know, risky is one, especially if one, you know, has lots of ideas and, is a is a person that for whatever reason has impressed the world around them with their sort of outward intelligence, their vocabulary. If Mm -hmm. if someone listening to this considers themselves to be, you know, someone whose vocabulary has come through in a pinch many times, you're, you're in danger because if you don't actually know what what you know where your questions, your your intrinsic authentic questions are coming from, Mm -hmm. the risk is extremely high that your imposter syndrome brain will come up with a super cool sounding idea. Mm. In order to impress a person that you're sitting across from, or maybe a room of people, or maybe a grant application, you'll come up with a super awesome sounding project. The world will go ape for it. Mm -hmm. We'll give you medals and grants and claps and stuff and it will be as alien to you as like as if someone just shoved a research project in front of your face and said you have to do this i don't care if Mm. you care about it one can because then it's really difficult to see a room of applauding people and your bank account kind of increasing Mm -hmm. and stuff it's very very hard to say that is a very cool idea Thank you, brain, for coming up with that awesome idea. Um, that is not me. I yeah. don't fundamentally care about this. It's a super yeah. cool idea, but here's the problem: I'm going to be dead soon, yeah. and, and I don't have time for super cool ideas. I only get to do so many of these. You know, mm. universe willing, I get to write this many books on average. You know, if I'm a <laughs> filmmaker, I only get this many films. If I if I'm a you know if I open restaurants, I only you only get to open so many restaurants in your life. Yeah, and so it this isn't this doesn't mean this does this doesn't cut it, and mm-hmm. and and it's and because then the rest of the world's gonna be like, what you left that one behind, and it's like hey, I I know I know that uh, I know it's hard to it's confusing why someone would leave this, something like this behind. That's the, but that's when knowing you know. Knowing why you notice what you notice, no, notice the problems you have um, in yeah. life, the things that disturb you. That's why it's also very valuable.
0: I think you're right. No, I, I, have, I mean, this is a, this is a kind of. So we we t- we touched upon this a little bit in the earlier episodes about like you know choosing, you know your field or your career or like entering certain um, job markets or whatever it is. And a lot of the people, uh, the guests that have come out have basically been like, this is like a passion, something I like love and I enjoy. I love going into work every day. I love thinking about what I do. And I think it's because as you say, when you're really truly, um, in within your, like, you know who you are, you know, your questions, you know, your interest and you pay attention to yourself. Um, you choose the field that's going to sustain you. Um, and I think what people need to understand, especially our younger listeners who are trying to carve out a new path for themselves, um, it's like you can't just do what's expected of you or what might please someone else, even though that might be the easier way out. You have to take some time to ask, like, hey, what do I care about? What is, as you say, fundamentally important to me? Because that is what's truly going to sustain you. Because there, there is no straight, easy path to any level of success. At least that's what I've seen. And that's what I've been told by my mentors is that it's a very tortured, difficult path to achieve success and any type of success. And so you need to really truly be fascinated and almost in love with what you're doing so that you can get through that tortured path. We talked quite a bit about imposter syndrome, but you know how that plays a lot with those who are the first in their family or first in their community, but really first gen um, students, you know, when you don't have anyone before you who helped pave the way or to tell you these things like, Hey, think about what you are curious about, you know, think about it'll drive you if you don't have that it's a little hard to get your foot like to just even take that first step my parents are immigrants from korea neither of them went to college and um you know neither my parents neither of them knew really how to help me navigate college and really didn't know how to even think about graduate school that was like not a thing that they knew about so um and You know, luckily, my high school had some pretty good guidance counselors who helped us with college applications and things like that. But for me, graduate school was a whole other challenge. Like, I didn't know how to explain to my parents what I wanted to do. I didn't even know how to explain to myself what I really wanted to do. And um, luckily, I had a really great mentor at the time. I was doing research with her, which also was, uh, as I mentioned in a previous uh, episode, that it was, I started doing research with her. Because I met an administrative assistant from her department who used to be my regular customer at a coffee shop. Like, that's
1: <laughs> like, awesome. I, like, I, yeah, I worked.
0: <laughs> um, I worked while I was going to college, and one of my jobs was working at a coffee shop. And Mister Nick Fedeska would come in every morning and get like four coffees, and we'd talk while I prepared his drinks, and. You know, he was like, are you interested in research? And I was like, yeah, but I don't even know what. And I met Dr. Gordon. I worked with her for a year. And she's like, you need to go to grad school. And I was That's like, awesome. I don't even know what that is. And she's like, <laughs> well, this is what it is. And I, if you're not sure, start with a master. Start with this. Look around here. You know, I think you should do it. And and without her, I really wouldn't have even thought about it, you know, I didn't know that that was an option for me. And so, you know, what was your experience like as a first generation college student and a graduate student and professor? You know, um, it must have been challenging to pave your own way. So, what were some of your biggest challenges um, throughout your academic and professional career?
1: Yeah, no, thank you for and the that your the the story of meeting in that way at the coffee house is just is just awesome. I mean, I I, I would you know I think. I want, I'm always really um, cognizant and and really cautious when talking about, um, you know, being first gen because there's so many, like so many different experiences Mm -hmm. of it. And so I want to be very careful with my language, but while at the same time, it being true um, that my Mm -hmm. brother and I are the first in our, our family to go because, you know, there's there the my sort of moments in my experience so i did i did not grow up um low income for example so Mm -hmm. it was it was so i i tend not to use the language of of paving my own way because you know i i as as little as they understood as in terms of what i was doing um you know my parents had the had the ability to support my brother and i Mm -hmm. in trying to do that Mm -hmm. and so First off, I want to just underscore that. But I think, in terms of navigation, um, the, the the key thing that I I remember is having absolutely no idea at any point what I was doing in any kind of every recipe felt like. Uh, I mean, I'm stumbling for words here, but I, when I, when I, when I, when I make a dish, I'm a fairly yeah. halfway decent cook, but I really like to see an image of the finished dish. Okay. Uh, it just, it gives me some kind of cybernetic target to like, be like, <laughs> am I anywhere? That, that's
0: what it's supposed to close, be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Am I anywhere close to what this thing is supposed to, mm-hmm. as opposed to a purely text-based one or nothing, mm-hmm. no recipe at all. Yeah. And the, you know, where should I go to college? Where should I apply to college? What should I major in? What is a major? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do with what you learn in college? What is grad school? How do you apply to grad school? What exactly does it mean to to do this? Every, every one of those meso, macro and micro decisions mm-hmm. was complete. And utter guesswork
0: <laughs> completely. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the, I remember when I applied to grad school, for example, mm-hmm. this is a little bit later in the story, but when I applied to grad school, I committed every possible mistake one could imagine in the <laughs> application. I, I, you could not <laughs> try to get rejected from grad school more efficiently than I did. <laughs> um which is that i th- just assumed that what a committee might be interested in looking at is sort of a well-rounded you know variegated thinker that can basically sketch out all of the different arenas of potential interests and all of these various c- to try to convey to whoever mm-hmm. that i was um someone that was passionate that, you know, that, and, 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 and accomplished and whatever. And, and the, and was, I was rejected just from everywhere. Uh, And the, the, the person who accepted me literally brought up that application and said, you know, I guess, despite the fact that you were just totally all over the place. (laughs) And I was like, I I was, I, I didn't say it out loud, but I was like, I'm sorry, what? I was what? Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> I just assumed that I just, when I got rejected, you know, it was like mm-hmm. rejection, 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 rejection. I was like, I just, I'm not cut out for this. They don't want me. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't okay. want me. And then one place said, we'll take a, we're going to take a chance on you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, despite the fact that it seems like you did everything in your power to make us think that, you know, and I now I understand why that type of application doesn't work. It doesn't work because grad school is fundamentally different than, than undergrad. You, you are, you, you're not applying to an institution. You're applying really to a person, yeah. um, at least in, you know, in, in history uh, or you're applying to a lab, you're, you know, you're applying mm-hmm. to basically a mentor or a team of mentors. Mm-hmm. And so that's a completely different thing than applying to Tufts university and saying like, I have this score and this is my, you know, CV. Yeah. I'm a holistic person. You have to, you have to, lie about your specificity and your laser focus and your, and your mm. kind of ability to work in that. And, and also you need to, over you know, emphasize yeah the reason that I really do want to work with you. It's not just yeah. the institution. I didn't know. Any not, of that. It's not that I didn't know. Just, it's not just that I didn't know any of that is that it wouldn't have occurred to me in a million years to <laughs> wonder... If that was the way to go, and that's not, you yeah. know, I don't, I don't throw that blame on the, on, on the footstep of, of my parents or something of that nature. But th- you know, they, um, they were, they, they were, they were a challenging, <laughs> in their own way, a challenging bunch of deeply anti intellectual, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, sort of. Uh, Deeply, you know, if they were uh, if they were alive today, they would absolutely be part of the sort of anti-expert kind of
0: mm.
1: world that we now live in. Okay. Uh, and so it was. Um, they were always proud of the fact that I, you know, I was getting a PhD. They never really knew what I was doing. Um, they were v- extremely proud when I got my job at Stanford, but really didn't know, you know, what I exactly what I mm-hmm. was doing or did. Um, but I always had to be, I could never just let it shine. I could never, ever be myself in that okay. that part of me because mm. it would have it 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 would have it just didn't work.. Um, okay. It just didn't work to let that kind of stuff out onto the table. Um mm-hmm. there were, there were moments there were moments something would happening in the news with China and I and you know, and someone would ask me and I would share some context mm-hmm. and they would be amazed mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you do you know something about this is like <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> it's like was, what I, I do I, this yeah. is my life yeah <laughs> uh, but but you know it was um that's and that's why that's why I think when when it sort of it dawned on me much later in life. I didn't think about because I think probably because of my subject. I mean, I'm a heterosexual white male. Yeah. Um, I did not grow up low income, so I I, I, I did not go through high school and when applying to college. When I was applying to college, I never ever conceptualized myself as first gen. Never, mm-hmm. never conceptualized that there was something that I needed to seek out and figure out how to do this when applying to grad school it didn't occur to me and it was sort of towards the latter part of grad school when i was going through some things in my personal life that i started to kind of take stock of life a little bit and realize that there was a pattern to the mm-hmm. to the mistakes that i tended to make in my professional life mm-hmm. and they were um they were not that i kept stepping on the loose rock or stepping on the broken plank or the rotten wood or whatever, or Mm -hmm. it wasn't just that it, it was, I didn't even realize that I should turn to anyone Yeah, and say, just curious, are there any landmines over there or like, (laughs) just curious, I see a stair, I see a bridge, Mm -hmm. I see it. Mm -hmm. I have to cross that bridge. I understand that part. Are there any planks on that bridge that are rotten or that a nail is gonna go through my foot? I'm just I'm just yeah. curious. Yeah. And I I it I think that is probably I don't know. I, I'm an N of one. I don't have I have no other database besides my own experience. But in yeah. conversations, that seems to be a pretty consistent experience. It's not just not knowing. It's, it's not also asking for help. Not asking, not even it's just not encoded into saying. Yeah, And I think that that's something that when, when you either have mentors or family members um, yeah. who can say, hey, uh, so next month, or a year from now, this thing is coming up. Yep. Yep. And uh, there's a bridge. And I don't know where all of the rotten planks are. I just know that on bridges, there tend to be some rotten, broken planks. That's all. Bye. And yeah. then the person, out of their own self-interest, be like, "Oh, okay, I should probably, maybe find I could ask them again. Yeah. Try to go find out where the where the broken planks yeah. are." Exactly. Um, and the second you hear that advice one time, you don't yeah. have to hear it again because you know you like you see another bridge, or you see a, or you you start to think analogically. Like, I see a, I see a, I see a ladder. I see a, yeah. I see a, a stairwell. I wonder if anything is loose there,
0: mm-hmm. and you
1: cultivate mm-hmm. a sense of. Of asking and doing that, I had a student who um, who applied to Stanford. I wasn't their advisor, but they they walked into the meeting. Uh, first of all, they knew to request the meeting.
0: Mm, yep, that's, they were, they, yeah.
1: they were admitted. They knew they were yeah. admitted. They knew that they had yeah. the power to say yes or no, and so they requested yeah. a meeting with three professors. We all sat at the table. Mm-hmm. It's like cool. The student who you know was finishing, I, I think, undergrad maybe master said, mm-hmm. "I'm just I am just hoping to learn more about the department." what is your tenure rate? Um, Wow.
0: That's a really big question to ask as a first year grad student. Like I don't even know. Yeah.
1: Because it's like, but it's so perfect because someone cued them to say like, listen, you're going to be at this program for six, seven, eight years, nine years maybe. Your mentor might not get tenure. Yeah. So you should probably figure, so if you're deciding between two places and the person you want to work with is a fourth year assistant professor on the tenure track, You should ask, is this a a place that denies everybody tenure or is this a place that has a really, really good record for getting their assistant professors across that finish line because it affects you? Yeah. Like who cued this person to that question? Yeah. It's absolutely a brilliant, essential question. Someone had to cue them to that question. Mm -hmm. And that's part of, um, you know, that's part of, I think, the instinct for first-gen professor for the YouTube channel, is I know this much, but the this much that I've either gone through personally or have witnessed personally is enough to give people, if they step on it, um, either they're going to bruise their knee, scrape up their leg, or fall straight through. I know that. And so why? You know, why in the world should anyone... The, the metaphor I use is camping. If you've mm-hmm. ever gone to group camping, yeah. when you cross a river, when you cross a stream, if you're walking and you step on a, on a, on a rock and it wobbles, mm, yeah, it is your obligation. Like mm. as a human, it is your obligation to turn to the person behind you and be like that. that is a wobbly rock. A wobbly rock. That's all. Yeah. Don't need to move it. Don't need to fix it right. Then there's a wobbly rock. The next person, it is their moral obligation to say, to pass it along there's a wobbly yeah. rock there's a wobbly rock there's a wobbly rock and yeah. as soon as someone and it always happens and as soon as someone you know someone turns and it's like is about to say it and the person behind is like i got it i heard the person before you so you don't yeah. need to tell me. and then the chain is broken yeah and then someone steps back on the wobbly rock okay yeah but it, then we have to repeat that process mm-hmm. um and you know it it, it, it it it's it's a it's a it's a it's a not even a drop in a in an ocean. It's more of like a whatever. Yeah. So it's a but it's I I I just it it, it, it I don't know if it nauseates <laughs> me or something. But the idea of people just stepping on the same or touching the same uh, loose wires, yeah, it, It's like it doesn't need to happen. So what what is a way to give this advice or share this experience? Yeah, in a, not just a one on one, but in a way that can be. You know, broader. I started out by like, you want to see my cover letter, you'd like to see the thing that I got used to get a grant yeah. that I will never apply for again. That's just sitting in my hard drive. And we all do this with each other. Yeah. You know? We write to each we other sure. and say, yeah. hey, do you mind if I take a look at it? I'm not gonna copy anything. I just don't yeah, I just need yeah, to yeah, know yeah. what the Absolutely. dish looks like. Yeah. Um, and then I'll make my own dish, but I just don't even know what it's even remotely supposed to look like. Yeah. And so why not just say here? you know, here it here is. Share it. Is. Sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, you mentioned, you, so this has been brought up before and I, I talked about this in the episode about when you don't have anyone queuing um, you, like you just don't know. There's a lot of things that people don't realize are part of um, academia, steam, higher level education. That isn't really about your scores. Yeah. Uh, isn't about like your grades. It's about small unsaid things. Sometimes it's just who, you know, like, um, I know this person, they do this and, you know, let me sit you down and have a meeting with them so they know your face. And that helps you maybe get an extra point in an interview or helps you even land the interview in the first place. You know, then, then people, I had this kid in college who obviously brilliant person, but someone had told him, I went to UCLA, very competitive. And, you know, we have all these like weeder courses that w- that's what we used to call them in the life sciences where you start with LS one, which is like five hundred people. By LS four, it's like you know a hundred, and they're, they're trying to fail you out so you don't continue. And he knew from day one to never take more than three classes a quarter. Um, always do like you know one easy A guaranteed, one challenging course where you know you're going to spend the most time, and one that's like okay, you know maybe not super hard, but never more than three, and definitely one easy A where you don't even expend your energy. And like he stacked his his schedule in a way that was sustainable and he was he excelled and you know now he's you know a physician at harvard and uh, <laughs> i mean he was always going to do well like he was brilliant to start but he knew and he knew you know there was research tracks he knew how to get scholarships and like a lot of my friends whose parents had gone through college or uh, you know had people give them advice knew where to go and where to turn and they knew all these things I didn't even know were like even part of the equation. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. just like, I got to work hard. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> Balls to the wall. But, you know, people had these like tips that I didn't know. And so now when I try to mentor my students who are, you know, from similar backgrounds as myself, I try to tell them, hey, you know, that internship that you think is, is like just networking, you're not going to learn anything. Take it. Do yeah. it. Because knowing those people will help you when you are going to apply for grad school, you know, um, talk to the admissions counselors, you know, go to the financial aid office. You know, that was something that was important for me. You know, think about the coursework. Don't set yourself up for failure. Like things that I didn't know, but other people knew. And I think um, something you mentioned a little bit earlier about like not knowing to even ask. I think when you are first gen, there's a lot of things that happen in your brain that you're not even really aware of. Um, Like one is if you ask a question, you think it might be silly or stupid and no one else is asking it. And you're just the weird one because you know, so then you don't while, while other people are asking those questions because they've been told you can ask. And I think when you are the first um, in your family, regardless of socioeconomic status, I think there's this idea that like, Oh, like, Maybe if I ask this question, people figure me out. They'll find out that like I'm not—I don't really belong here. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I wanted to emphasize this to our listeners that like asking for help is totally normal and absolutely necessary to um, navigate higher level education, college, grad school, and even postdoc and all the excessive training that you go down the path if you do want to stay in academia. And um, you know, finding out finding out through asking is powerful it doesn't make you weak it doesn't make you lesser it doesn't showcase that you don't belong there at all and actually people are more willing to ask stupid questions because they feel like they already this is their spot you know you're home so why not ask the stupid question no one's going to judge you you only feel like people are going to judge you if you don't think you're home it's not your place absolutely so you know, you will have a place there. You're there. Ask the question. Don't be afraid. And um, this is like the perfect time. I know you kind of brought it up a little bit too, but your first gen prof website, I know that you have, you know, one for college grad and tenure track, right? So can you talk a little bit about like the resources that your website has?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, So it's, 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 it's probably far more um, robust in the the grad and tenure track side because I did a lot of I think a lot of the the, the conversations and advice at college at this point um, has been routed on my TikTok channel, um, but it's essentially I realized that I had this I, I I've had this YouTube channel which began during uh, shelter in place and online teaching and I had mm-hmm. to sort of make my way through that world mm-hmm. um, and. I think it was back at the time of the, the Trump H1 visa ban that mm-hmm. it, I saw so many students in our program and colleagues just devastated by it that I just decided to speak about it in a video because um, I was using the a, a YouTube channel that I had set up, but but uh, with all private videos so that I could share the course videos with my yeah. with my students. And I was like, this is just outrageous. And so, and then it, that, that was kind of the, the the germ of it in the sense of saying, okay, Let's talk. Let's talk about again. You know where 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 are some of the the not not just not just uh, creaky floorboards and and wobbly rocks, but also this just army of people that are, as we speak, are sitting in their office waiting mm-hmm. for someone to help. That yeah. no one is coming to get help from. Um, like mm-hmm. the number of people who the number of lonely professors sitting in an empty room during office hours as we speak mm-hmm. right now is probably you know, <laughs> really really large, and okay. that's just really sad because. They're there, and the students, you know, the students who know or have been cued to know, are the ones that are most likely to go anyway. Um, you know, so I, I sort of made these videos uh, on an irregular basis, a sort of sundry, and the topics were X or Y or Z, and I did that for about a year, and you know, uh, people found it useful. I found out that I was I was initially worried, you know, uh, what will what do <laughs> I you know I still I am. I imposter syndrome, by the way, everybody, imposter syndrome never goes away. Um, so no
0: <laughs> I was going to ask you, how do yeah, no, you get it, rid it of never, that? It never,
1: <laughs> it, never, it never, ever goes away. And, and neither mm-hmm. should you want it to go away. Um,
0: Interesting. It
1: is, I think it's better to think of it along the same lines that I, I deal with anxiety. And I know many mm-hmm. friends who deal with depression. It's, you ha- it, it, my anxiety will never, ever leave. It is, I have a relationship with my anxiety, mm. um, it has a seat at the table. And that's how we live together. Uh, and okay. same thing with imposter syndrome. It's like you cannot. You can try to throw it into the basement and board the door, and you know, and and and, and banish it, and try to <laughs> kill it, and try, like it's an animal, like it's a beast, like it's a monster. None of it works. You have to just invite parts of you to the table and say, you know, you're part of me, and so let's let's have a meal. But in any event. Um, <laughs> You know, I was nervous about it, but I made these videos and people I, I learned that some people were sharing them with their grad students or or you know, whatever. But then I, I kind of looked at it as like, oh, it's a kind of, you know, it's it's very incoherent. There's like a little bit on this, there's a little bit of that, there's a lot on this, there's a lot on that. If someone were just interested in this, where would they go? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of became sprawling, I guess. And then I decided and I had I had the TikTok channel that um I was just curious about, you know, what would it be like to share advice on TikTok? And that turned out to be well received. So it's like, then there was that. And I was like, I I off, this is my cycle in life. Yeah. It's sort of entropy and just the stuff just (laughs) gets to drift and scatter. And then, you know, kind of I have to try to, I get really stressed and I get really, um, I feel again pulled apart. And then I kind of go through this little, pulse of, of, of rationalization to try to bring it together. And that's really what mm-hmm. the website came from, to be very honest. Okay. It came from like, it's all sort of sprawling. I feel myself being ripped apart and I kind of want to give it some shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, it was, you know, it took a lot of energy to, to do it. And so that's when I was like, okay, what if I just thematized the different things? So mm-hmm. okay. applying to grad school, um, mm-hmm. finding a mentor, navigating a dissertation topic and i just mm-hmm. sort of took stock and then put it put it in in one place and then you know see if people are interested in taking part in it and they were and so that's cool and now it's you know now it's just sort of infrequently updated with new things that um i release but then there's an overlap i think between that and the youtube channel and the tiktok channel yeah and in terms of where it goes i i really have no you know no <laughs> idea um i would much rather focus mm-hmm. on in terms of like a, like a book, I think I'm, I'm too committed and, and, and in love with in particular, the research side of things. Yeah. Um, and really want to stay to the extent that maybe there's another book, um, after where research begins, which I, Chris and I are working on right now, but it would be, it's still around that same question of research rather than, a. A how-to guide to academia. Yeah, because the second a book like that comes out, it's already, it's already in a sense out of date, um, mm-hmm,
0: and mm-hmm. it's better
1: to have something a more dynamic medium like um, yeah. a video, I think, to do that or podcasts. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah,
1: but yeah, it's and then college is college, I have to admit, college is the part where I included it, but I always felt that it was uh, it, it's still not living up to its promise or name in the sense that I I it's been a long time since I was in college. And now my experience is on the side of being an instructor or a mentor. And I can't for a split second claim to understand the degree and the complexity of stress um, that undergrads are are facing right now, which um, it's, I mean, they've, they've lived through the four horsemen of the apocalypse.
0: I know.
1: So, how would I <laughs> even say It's been a say? crazy
0: like, couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Here's
1: what here's what I think you should do, person who's been yeah. through an economic crisis, a plague, um, <laughs> you know, the, the erosion, the climate crisis, the erosion yeah. of, of liberal democracy. Yeah. And uh, you know, and let's keep going. Yes. Forest fires and like they
0: yeah.
1: say <laughs> but it but but it is a sense of I think the one thing that I try to underscore in those is I consider myself to be, um, I'm I'm like an incredibly optimistic pessimist, or or maybe a really (laughs) pessimistic optimist. I don't know which one. Uh But I have no patience for people who are like in my chair or the counterpart. I have no patience at all for like tenured professors getting in loudspeakers and talking about how like don't even bother don't even bother go this way. Like same thing. I have no patience for filmmakers who are like, Hey kid, it's the worst job in the world. Don't do, you know, like choreographers being like, you should never get on a dance floor. Yeah. Journalists are like journalism is dead as they take their paycheck from, from the Atlantic. <laughs> it, I have, I, I, that to me is such moral bankruptcy. I can't even yeah. articulate it because it's, it's a lot. It's the, it's the ultimate act of pulling up the ladder and saying, no, one's going to come here Mm. and two it's 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 giving these horrific war stories without any context or framework yeah. Yeah. um which of course make make the war stories that much more terrifying
0: scary yeah
1: um and it also most importantly it it plays into this notion that there was never anything really special about it in the first place mm. and that okay. i reject out of hand like the idea mm-hmm. that you know, maybe college was never worth it. Maybe it's maybe research has always been a a, 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 a myth, a dream. Like it, maybe maybe there were, never really was film. Maybe there never really was a reason to dance at all. Maybe it's maybe we just tricked ourselves. And and I'm the last generation to have successfully <laughs> tricked myself into a job into this term. Yeah. You know, when when you talk to someone, when you talk to a 17 year old, who's like, I'm really into this yeah I yeah I, I you should tell them about the job market. you should tell them about the path forward, but if they're if they're there and saying like to the extent that I understand the complexity of the situation, I am here to tell you, I'm really into this. And like who like if if I'm gonna take that extra step to dissuade and to dissuade and to dissuade and, to dissuade and only let those in who I have not dissuaded away, yeah. I'm treating them like children. I'm treating them like Yeah. Um I'm not respecting them. I'm not taking them seriously. And I don't know. There, there there's I think it's really easy to fall into that into that into that trap. Mm-hmm. Um because and you could you could do it for almost any anything, you know. What is the, what is yeah. the likelihood that someone who gets on a diamond is going to make it to the majors or the minors? Yeah. What's the likelihood that someone who gets on a dance floor is gonna dance with, I don't know, a company in New York? What's the likelihood that someone who likes to you know who's great with a chef knife and really is amazing for their friends and families? What's the likelihood they're gonna like, run a successful restaurant? It's this isn't a story of like, oh, just the tough make it. it's it's that you could tell a, a story of disaster for almost any
0: mm-hmm.
1: true, Passion that exists in this world, yeah. But like, what's the point of doing that?
0: Yeah. And why
1: are we? Why? What are we doing? Yeah. Um, It's to say, I think that the the way that I've always tried to approach it is like, I have no idea how you can start a restaurant. I have no idea how to do it. Um, No guarantee. There's no step to do it. But here's one thing you can do: when you go and ask for a bank loan, don't make this like. Totally obvious mistake that yeah. I made that totally got me you know, thrown out of the bank. Just don't exactly. do that. I don't know what's yeah. next. Yeah. Um, but if you're an adult, and I trust you're an adult, and I trust you know yourself, and, a, and you want to start a restaurant in Paris, and you're like, this is what I want to do, it is not my job. And it's not, it's not job. It's not, it's, it's not my place. It's not to say-
0: You're not going to make it.
1: You're not going to make it. And it's, it's a dream not worth dreaming.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, mm. That's what I think there's some people out there that, that, uh, that have that. V- and so people have said to Chris and I, I know, and have said to like, when I do workshops, they've used the word that they've, they found the conversation about research, like refreshingly optimistic there. And also about the advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll say very clearly that You know, the likelihood of getting through this particular door is really, really low, but at least don't, you know, don't stick your, don't stick a fork in the, in the, in the, in the plug on the way. Um, but at the same time, they're not fools. They know people know like the, the odds they do. They, they, they know them more than we think we know. They know them. Yeah. And if they're saying like, I want to go and do this, which, how should I do this? Um, you can't pretend ever to give them a secret recipe, but at the same time, you can you can say, at the very least, here's you know here are the questions I think you need to be asking. Mm-hmm. Here are the variables mm-hmm. in the equation as I understand the equation. Mm-hmm. Here are all the places that I know the playing field to be completely uneven. Yeah. Um, and you know here's where the bodies are buried to my knowledge, and there's where the landmines are to my knowledge. And let's try to walk across it. Um, that that to me is, you know, the point.
0: Yeah. No, I I think that's really beautiful and also really encouraging. Um, I think there's a lot of negativity in general um, right now. I think it, it kind of makes sense. There's a lot of stuff happening in the oh, world yeah. that's oh, kind yeah. of scary and terrible. But this is something that I think it has been reiterated in multiple episodes. It's that you know, if you really want to do something. If you really are excited and passionate about it, there are many of us, as all our um, uh, that want to help and that want to encourage you in the best way we can. And there might be some naysayers. There's always people who are just like, man, you can't do it. Uh, forget them; they're haters. <laughs> but um, the those of us who are part of this project and those of us who, like Tom, have additional resources out there for you to use and look at and listen to you know we're here to give you the insight that we have and share with you the wisdom and the knowledge that and the experience that we've had so that you can at least you know pass some of the you know potholes and crazy pieces of things that happen with a little bit more ease so that you can achieve the goal and reach your destination that you have set out to go and so you know um I'm really glad you came on our show. I'm super um, excited to kind of see what else you're going to write and what else you're going to do. Like all your articles are so interesting and like different from what I do. So, you know, I was like, oh, this is so like out there (laughs) i mean uh, but it's so cool and i'm so glad that you were able to come on and talk about your experience and and the things that you want to do and i i I imagine your students are very excited to learn from you and be mentored by you because you just have this like positive energy and this like this willingness to kind of bring people with you and that's so awesome um it's a Yeah, so thank you so much for coming. And to our listeners, remember, you can be your own trailblazer, but you might need a little bit of help along the way. And so ask for it. There are plenty of resources and people like Tom who want to help you. So check out our website and we'll have links to Tom's books and his websites and YouTube channel. And we'll see you all next week. Steam the Podcast is brought to you by RSS.com. We're produced by Brian Kelly and Christina Cho with help from T. Badri, Naomi Phillip, Emily Chu, and Sandhya Pabakaran. Our engineer is Brian Kelly at Echo Station Studio and original music is by David James Pugo. If you like STEAM the podcast, please share it with your friends. Let them know that they can subscribe to STEAM the podcast on RSS.com Community, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcast, Podcast Index, and Listen Notes. For resources and our directory of STEAMinists, check out our website at projectsteamed.org. Thanks for listening and see you all next week.